Hello, and welcome to episode number 66 of the MR Running Pains podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aaron Saft, and today I've got kind of a, a special little episode. I have two separate guests. Um, topics are very different, but uh, my second guest uh, felt the... Um, I felt that the uh, um, the information and uh, uh, the episode itself was time relevant. So, um, our first guest is uh, Miriam Saloum, uh, my friend and physical therapist, uh, who's been on multiple episodes and talked about a variety of different um, you know parts of the body and uh, maladies and things that can go wrong and and ways that we can resolve them and um, you know tips for for training and such. So. Um, today we're going to talk about the shins. So we have a kind of an in-depth conversation about the shins, and actually we get into a lot of uh, relevant information, um, not only about the shins, but um, kind of about shoes and cadence and you know all sorts of stuff. So um, you know the information can help even if you're not having shin trouble. So you know it, I hope the conversation is helpful to you. And uh, the second conversation um, is with Canyon Woodward. Kenyon was just on last week as we talked about um, advocacy as trail runners. Um, Kenyon, uh, between that time and now, uh, ran the Cruel Jewel 100 and won and set a new course record. So um, I actually got to sit down in person with Kenyon and, and have an, uh, you know face-to-face interview, uh, which was awesome. And we get to hear about his adventure there and, and how things went. So uh, I hope you enjoy that conversation as well. And then at the end, I'll just catch up on some things that have gone on uh, around here and and, uh, and get you up to speed with everything uh, everything in this world, uh, the MR Running Pains world. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Miriam, and uh, thank you to both my guests for, for coming on today. I am welcoming back to the show, as I said in my introduction, my good friend, Miriam Saloum. How are you today, ma'am? I'm good, Aaron. Thanks again for having me on. This is great. Absolutely. Yes. It's uh, Miriam, uh, if you want to just touch base uh, for those listeners that haven't uh, met you in any previous episodes, which I will put all of our previous episodes in the show notes uh, as resources because we've gone over some really good uh, fundamentals about the uh, the body and, and maladies that can occur to any runner. But if you want to just touch base on your background and yourself. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, yes, my name is Miriam Salome. Uh, I'm a physical therapist here in the Asheville area. Um, I've been practicing physical therapy for about 21 years now. Um, and during that same time, I've had a, uh, an independent running clinic uh, specializing in the biomechanical analysis of runners and helping them with running injuries primarily. Um, so it's pretty much my life's work and what I love to do. So um, I really have loved being on the show talking about that and, and hopefully helping people um, circumvent some of those problems that we run into as runners. I've heard from multiple listeners as, you know, as a gratuity to you to say thank you for, for doing these talks because it, it sure does help a lot of people. So thank you. Um, Miriam is also an ultra runner. Um, and I believe you have a, an event coming up. Do you not? Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I had a really, um, had a really nice um, client. She's also a friend. And unfortunately, she couldn't um, do her registration for the Black Mountain Monster that's coming up. Um, and so she gave it to me. And I was really excited because I've, I've done this event before. I did it in 2019. 
Um, it's kind of funny. It was the same thing. It kind of just happened at the last minute and it, it was something I felt really excited about. So um, it's a, for, for those of you that, that know, don't know about this race, but it's a really great race. It has a six, 12 and 24 hour um, event. And so you can register and they have a, a 5k loop course, um, usually through the Montreat um, campus. And so, yeah, so I'm training for that and I've really been enjoying it for the last month. It's kind of like, you know, last minute emergency training, but, um, <laughs> I feel it's been feeling pretty good. So I'm excited to give it a try. <laughs> uh, so your training has sounds like it's been going well. And, uh, when David and I, David Workman, who I talk about on this podcast quite frequently as my adventure partner, um, he and I did the art lobe that day. You did a one <laughs> miler, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. Awesome. I think you guys look better than I did though. When you came out from the art lobe, I think, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys uh, did amazing! You guys really did. You're unreal. You're really unreal. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, and also, uh, in case I forget to mention the introduction, my apologies for my voice to everybody. Um, Keegan, my son, had his uh, mile in which he broke five minutes for the first time last night, and I'm a bit hoarse from from cheering on the kids at the track meet. So, uh, bear with my voice. I apologize. <laughs> but. Uh, today's episode, we are going to get into the shins. Uh, we kind of, uh, gl- just kind of skipped over them. We went from, uh, I think the Achilles up to the knee, but, uh, we missed a, a big in between and that being the shins. So, um, Miriam, if you would, uh, just kind of go over what's involved in, uh, in the shin, uh, cause you know, we're talking about a, a big region here in, in the front of the, the leg. Uh, so how many muscles are we talking about and what does that entail? Yeah. Um, so the shin, uh, if you feel onto the bone that's right below the knee, um, that is your shin bone. That's the the large, thick bone between the knee and the ankle. Um, and, and then there's actually on the outside is this tiny little bone. Um, it kind of looks like a wishbone, but it's called the fibula. Um, and that's also an accessory bone that's uh, that has interaction with the tibia. It's not an accessory you know, by definition, but it's uh, a much thinner bone along the tibia. Um, and that um, that junction there is where a lot of the lower leg muscles uh, originate that go into the foot and ankle. Um, so we can talk about some of those. Um, some of those muscles extend um, from the upper region of the of the hip down into the shin and some originate actually in the shin. Um, but it's also a place where we see a lot of injuries. Um, and, you know, I'll break it up into populations because we, we kind of can. Um, uh, there's different kinds of injuries, I think, that are more common with different um, demographics of runners. Um, so we can talk about uh, young runners, youth runners, um, adolescent runners, novice runners, and then, of course, um, our uh, more endurance runners and some okay. of those issues. Okay, great, great. Um, I guess one of those you know, first issues we could talk about would be shin splints. Uh, as we commonly hear them referred to, um, can you uh, can you describe this for us and uh, kind of tell us what we're really talking about? Yeah, so shin splints are something that we hear a lot about because in and of itself, whenever we start a new activity that maybe has a little bit more loading on and even on a different surface, sometimes our body will respond with having a little bit of irritation around the front of the tibia. So if you walk your your fingers down right under the knee and rock it down the walk it down the front of the shin that can be a little bit tender throughout. 
Um, and that can be sometimes just a normal response um, as long as it shakes out after, you know, a, a temporary amount of time. So sometimes if you start a new sport, especially involves jumping. Um, so something like, you know, especially with kids like with cheerleading or if you start a new hit class as an adult or um, you start running a little bit more roads and trail. Um, sometimes you can have a little bit of shin soreness to start out with. And as long as it shakes out relatively soon, um, that's just a normal response of your bone adapting to that increased stress. Um, so it can be a normal uh, response to adaptation. What we really wanna make sure of is we're not getting into that abnormal or injurious zone where that, that soreness is becoming progressively worse. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and you know, you, you had talked about, um, the, the different, uh, groupings, you know, that, that we could talk about, um, does this fall into, uh, you know, any of those specifically, or do, is this something we see across the board? Yeah. So again, that kind of normal adaptation to a change in surface or activity that can be across the board. So for kids, again, that can be like cheerleading or doing um, or basketball or something like that, where they're they're just starting a sport. Their shins are just a little bit sore. But again, within the first week or two, it's really shaking out and it's getting much better. And it's the same with adults. You know, say you're a novice runner, you're starting to run for the first time. Usually those programs are kind of a walk run. Um, those are great, really gradual programs just a bit of shin soreness in the beginning, but again, shaking out within the first week or two um, is really what we want to see with something like that. Um, so it can be across the board and, you know, it's great. Our, our bodies are really great at adapting. And so that's what it's doing. It's the bone is responding to a new stress, becoming a little bit more sound and adapting to that stress. And then we can tolerate it without pain. And that's what we want to see on a, on a normal basis. It's, that would make sense for, uh, you know, usually at the beginning of like a track season, we see a lot of kids that are, you know, complaining about their shins, you know, because, well, it's a change of surface, just as you just said. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Right like on. force. That's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. That makes yeah, just sense. Keep an eye, just keep an eye on it. And I tell that to all adults, that, I mean, um, parents and coaches, just keep checking in with them um, so that they're making sure that their, their pain levels are, are getting better um, right. within that first couple of weeks. Sure. I guess that would go for adults as well. Cause we've got these, you know, uh, it's usually like a Tuesday track workout, you know? So if you're new to, to Tuesday track, just, mm -hmm. you know, be cognizant of if your, your shins are, you know, becoming activated and, <laughs> and sensitive, yeah. uh, that's, uh, yeah, that is, that's, you know, what we're talking about here. Okay. Um, so, um, what, uh, what are some common causes of, medial shin pain so um when we say medial for those that aren't familiar with the term we're talking about the uh towards the inside or the uh the arch side of uh of the foot and leg uh so you know the the inner muscles so uh what would be some common causes there yeah so technically we we call that soreness on the inside of the of the tibia or the shin medial tibial stress syndrome um, and this is, again, sometimes it can just be a normal response to loading. Um, as you walk your fingers down the inside of the tibia, this is usually um, what we'll feel like the, the bottom half will globally kind of be sore along that lines. Um, and so medial tibial stress syndrome can sometimes involve muscles of the soleus and the posterior tib 
and what's also called the flexor digitorum longus. Is a, there's a, a slew of muscles that have some insertion sites along there, and they can pull um, not only at the at the bone. The periosteum of the bone is is very very sensitized. It has a lot of nerve endings. So as they pull along that, that tibia, it becomes very um, sensitive and sore. Um, so sometimes it can have to do with impact. Sometimes it can have to do with how rapid people are loading. And we can talk about that a little bit. Um, but that's what's called medial tibial stress syndrome. And again, it's something that it's not uncommon, but we also want to see that dissipating within the, the first, um, I would say, you know, two weeks of a new activity. Um, otherwise, and especially if it's getting worse, we want to have some kind of intervention. Okay. Well, why don't you, you know, you just touched on loading. Why don't you go ahead and expound on that? Great. Um, so um, let's, let's maybe first talk about like the adult runner um, sure. and including also the, the novice runner. Um, so if you are experiencing shin pain, uh, maybe you're starting out a new sport or you're trying a new speed or a new distance uh, and you're starting to have um, pain on, we'll talk about first on the front of the shin. Um, so sometimes reasons for that, that can be one, either overstriding. So sometimes that is when we start loading the leg when we first make contact with the ground with the knee in a more extended position. So these sometimes what feels like a really long stride or reaching or a stride that feels like you're reaching out. Um, this is super uh, common when people start uh, changing terrain and we're being more on flats or downhills, especially doing a lot more downhill training. Um, you can start to have that. Um, and you know, there's no difference between, uh, what you would call like a, um, a shin splint. And then we kind of have a continuum of a stress reaction where the bone starts to have, um, some, uh, changes in edema inflammation along the periosteum and then into a stress fracture. Uh, and that's when there's actually um, a, a, a crack in the periosteum from enough loading or enough impact. And so they're all on the spectrum. And so really, we want to we want to start making changes to that um, when we're in that kind of uh, shin splint to stress reaction phase. Um, so usually, again, that can be overstriding. Um, and we can talk about you know, some different things to do with that. Um, also, some people have a lot of mobility uh, to their lower legs. And if when they load and they land onto one leg, the hip, the knee and the ankle all rotate and collapse very rapidly. That's also something that creates a lot of torque and torque is rotational force. Um, the, the bones of the shin do not like that very much. So sometimes the loading event or when you land and there's a lot of rotational force through the leg, that can also cause uh, a, a bony uh, stress injury. So those, I, those are the two main events during running, especially for the adult runner, um, that can cause those kinds of, of injuries. Okay. And then did you want to touch on the next group? Yeah. So for kids, um, and the reason I really want to bring this up is because um, with kids, we start seeing more of the... Um, the issues with uh, stress injuries very early on. So, as, you know, as adults, we, we usually don't see as many stress fractures as we do with our kids. Um, and that's because, you know, the bony injuries are a little bit more prominent in that group. So um, with kids, we see um, a lot of times uh, there's some good research that weakness in calf muscles can be part of that. Um, so making sure that they have enough um, uh, strength of their calf muscles when they start running um, and mobility. Um, and then again, kind of overstriding. So, you know, with the younger populations, tibial stress injuries and stress fractures are a lot more prominent. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen in our adult populations. It definitely does. Um, but it's definitely more prominent in our, in our, uh, in our youth athletes. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, and then <clears throat> you had also mentioned uh, in there about overstriding. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some some cues that you can uh, you know tone into or ways that you can uh, work on not overstriding? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and this is something I think that happens um, just to kind of put it on something that people can relate to, um, especially if you star speed workout. OK, especially if you're doing it with other people, um, because obviously the thing that's top of mind is, is just going as fast as you can um, and trying to hold it as long as you can and, and, and that kind of thing. So um, I think speed workouts are a place where people can start getting into overstriding issues, um, running sometimes with friends that are different paces than yourself. Um, sometimes that can can um, have people to start kind of changing their gait and overstriding or what we call a novice runner, someone that's just starting their running program. Um, and so overstriding, again, is when the when we reach out and we land with the knee in a relatively straight position. And it's very hard to know how you're landing. There's some good research where they they ask runners to tell them exactly how they land and. And, and even experienced runners are like, oh, I, I, you know, they'll, they'll give the reports and they will see on video analysis that they're they're It's incorrect. Um, so it's very hard to know that. But if you're starting to have shin pain and some of these things are ringing a bell like, oh, yeah, I just started running or um, I have been running with a faster group or a speed workout. Um, what I really recommend people to do is to look at what their their cadence is. Um, and a lot of times you can see this on your watch um, and a cadence is the number of footfalls that we have within a minute. Um, so what you can do is you can just pick a leg and within 30 seconds um, kind of count how many times that one leg hits the ground and multiply it by four. Um, so you can take a couple of different samples of that and, and see what your cadence is during your run. Or you can look at your watch and see what your average cadence is. Um, if it's we have kind of this theoretical 180 steps per minute as being this kind of, you know, ideal cadence, the number of times, again, your feet will hit the ground, both feet will hit the ground within a minute. Um, if you find that you're on the lower end of that um, in the 140s, 150s, 160s, you might want to bring it up just about 10 percent. You know, so just do a little equation, find 10 percent of your current cadence and bring it up a little bit and see if you can start to match that. You can use a metronome app on your phone. That's perfectly fine. Um, uh, there's uh, I think it's called my run cadence. There's a couple different apps where you can you can use um, some feedback and just match your footfalls to the beat. Um, so that's one way that you can start to work on your canes. I just recommend when you start doing that, um, running alone for those times when you're trying to focus on it and being sure not to, um, speed up. So say that you run a 10 minute mile and you want to work on your cadence, um, during that 10 minute mile, your, your cadence is 150. All right. Um, go out on that same run, um, keep your pace around that 10 minute mile. Um, and then again, you can bring it up to that that 10 percent. So 165 steps per minute, listening to the little beat of a metronome. Um, and that way we're not we're we're we're, we're soundly bringing those footfalls a little bit closer under your body and also bending the knee a little bit more so that when you load, that knee is flexed and it acts as more of a shock absorber. That's the that's the big thing with this is that we're allowing our body to be a natural shock absorber absorber and that kind of motion. So the knee is flexed and the tibia is in a much better position to absorb shock. Um, so cadence is a really great way to start to do that and getting the feeling of, of having the legs land underneath you versus out in front of you. Um, so that's a, that's an yeah. easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, if, if you have more, can we just touch on a few things here with cadence and then we can, you know. Oh yeah, sure, sure. And that's from a great uh, study by Brian Heiderscheidt. Um, you can find that on Google Scholar. 
Um, but there, that's some, some great work he did. Um, you in the that over chain. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Definitely. I don't even think I could spell that last name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, a few things that, uh, you know, came to mind when you were uh, discussing cadence, um, the, um, the metronome, which can drive absolutely yourself and everybody around you totally nuts. Um, Spotify, uh, my wife, Beth uses uh, Spotify. They have a 180 cadence channel. Um, and it's just songs that are, you know, in a, a beat that's 180. So uh, if you want to just put it to music, they have their own channel for that. So you don't have to have the, the metronome beeping at you. Um, a question to you, um, a number of my athletes, have we've been trying to work on cadence as you know as something to be as you said injury preventive um and also just to you know make them a little bit more efficient uh but what ends up happening is they try to increase their cadence but at the same time they end up increasing their pace too much and then their heart you know goes up and the effort becomes too hard um do you have any kind of um uh, hints or tips for them that, you know, that will help them not increase the pace so much. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, be able to increase the cadence. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, what, what I would recommend is going to address both of those, those comments you made. So within the study, anytime that we do any kind of changes in a gate form, um, and, and for people to that are maybe dealing with injury, but they feel terrified of changing their gait or that kind of thing. Um, just know in the world of, of running related injury research, changes in gait are meant to manipulate forces in a way to help healing. And they can either be a temporary change or if you feel like it's something that eventually makes you more efficient, you can keep it. Um, but in the in the world of running related injuries and, and gait retraining, we use these tools or these these factors that we can manipulate to address a certain injury. So we're talking about. Um, shin pain, and especially this also went into our, our knee pain uh, discussion, and we're looking at cadence. These are these are two big things with the cadence uh, drills. One is when you're learning a new cadence, it's extremely hard. I know it sounds so easy to say, look, you know, I usually run at 150 steps a minute. I'm just going to bump it up a bit. It's going to be easy as pie. I'm going to get this the hang of this within a day or two. It'll be fine. Um, and we really don't find that with the research. And I, I always tell my, my clients this, um, when you're learning a new drill, it's like learning a language or it's like learning a dance step. You have to ingrain it. Um, in the research, we find that people are able to ingrain, runners are able to ingrain things within about eight sessions uh, over about four weeks, over, over about two weeks. You know, so we're looking at four running sessions um, each each week um, with very strong feedback. And so the only caveat to the, the music thing is a lot of times if you're having a hard time finding the beat, like this is an entirely new um, and new an entirely new movement pattern. I really recommend people use that really irritating beat. I'll even tell them like, turn it on for a couple minutes, turn it off for a couple minutes, yeah, turn it back gotcha. on. You know, that's totally fine. But to, I think to be super successful in the beginning, especially when we have that eight um, session parameter in the research, it seems to be doing really well as far as um, having positive changes. Um, using that really irritating beat without the music background is really helpful. Yeah. And then once you have it under your belt, go to the music background because then it's That's just, it. you're not learning as much anymore. Um, and then the second um, thing that you brought up about the pace. Yeah. So 
and Heidrichite's research, we want to keep the same speed while we're ingraining the new pattern. And you're you're learning this new cadence. You can't you don't want your speed to change. That variable has to stay the same. So ideally, a treadmill is the best place to learn that. Okay, so if you're if you had the example before of the 10 miles per hour, your you know your or 10 mile or if you're doing a 10 minute mile, whatever it may be, keeping that constant. So you can you can do that on the treadmill. If you don't have access to a treadmill, and this is why I re really recommend people to do this. Um, on their own without people around them as far as, you know, having other distractions is trying to keep the same speed, even if it's a little bit easier than what they run, just to work on that turnover, because you don't want to speed up at the same time you're advancing your cadence, because obviously then you can start to overstride again. Um, so, you know, I usually have people kind of work on their own or even do smaller segments on the treadmill if they can find one that's available to them, but keeping that speed constant while they're doing that ingraining period, again, during that eight session ingraining period is, is really optimal. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, you also said that, you know, we're looking at like trying to do like a, a 10% increase. Um, so, you know, I've also heard like, and I'm sure this is just kind of splitting hairs, but um, to go up by 5%, uh, just so it's not as large of an increase. So like, I mean, if they're sitting at 160, if you did 10%, it'd be 16. So we're looking at 16 more steps, you know, per minute, which, you know, is that, is that a, you know, is that too much or do you think that's still doable? Uh, I mean, you said 10%, so I'm imagining that's, you know, the research is showing 10% is just fine. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And so, and they, they actually have kind of split that where 7% is another one that's another, that's okay. used out there too. And honestly, I think if you just improve it a little bit, um, it makes a big difference. It really does. Okay. Um, when you're talking about, so who's not in the range that um, I really worry about it. So when I have a runner come in, um, there, there have been some studies. If someone's around in the mid 170s, they usually show those runners to be um, a little bit more injury resilient. Um, than runners in lower cadences. So I usually don't mess with things if people are in the the mid 170s. Um, but yeah, when we start getting to the one, 140s and 50s and 60s, um, that's when we can yeah. we can tamper a little bit. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, anything else there on cadence or? Um, and then did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on for for helping people with uh, with this type of shin pain? Oh, with overstriding, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, the Sorry. cadence, the cadence is super helpful um, for that. And while you're working on it, try to try to avoid um, extreme downhills for a while, um, especially on the road, because that's obviously more impact. So while you're trying to get over your shin splints and, and working on that, um, just kind of keep that a little bit more level. So, yeah. Yeah, would, but, that, would that include speed as well in that same sense? So like a speed session because you are generating more force? Um, you know, like, so in other words, like doing high intensity intervals, that type of thing. Yeah. So if someone comes in and their shins are sore, um, I don't think they're in the parameter of a stress uh, reaction or something or a stress fracture. Um, I usually have them lay off a little bit of their speed workouts. We're either cutting them in half or taking a week or two off just temporarily until they, they heal. Because we know bone for the most part heals pretty well. Um, and I do want to touch on a little bit of when those cases are where we don't have people that heal very well when they have um, what we call now REDS, which is um, relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, that's when there okay. might be a bone density issue. Um, but yeah, sure. so if someone is again and you know they're a healthy individual, they're a healthy runner, and I'm we just need their bone to catch up um, 
healing wise, but we want to keep them running. I will take down some of those speed workouts um, and downhills just to the bone remodels. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're really touching on a lot here. So that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about reds. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I like how the terminology has changed so that now it incorporates everyone, right? So, yeah, because uh, well, primarily when we began talking about this type of uh, what you call it a syndrome, yeah, um, it used to be called the female triad, and I, I, I think right. that was I, I don't think that was a good description to to encompass everyone that was in there, and yeah, no, totally, I like the the change into calling yes. it reds. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. So go ahead and let's, you know, let's get into to reds and how this can affect, uh, affect us. Yeah. Um, and this is again, um, so parents and coaches that might be listening, um, you probably already know about this, but this is something really important to learn about um, for youth athletes. Um, so reds, relatively relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, and when I talk about this with with parents and kids and athletes, um, I basically put my hands um, out flat and tell them to think about things in a scale way. Um, and on one one side, we have the intake of of energy, which we usually have as calories. And then how we have our energy expenditure, which is our activity. Um, and when we start to the, the scales start to become imbalanced, we're not taking in enough energy or enough fuel for those sports. OK, for the, the energy that we're, exp we're expending, the body can actually have uh, a response where it starts to leach um, calcium out of the bones. There's a lot of different responses to they, they find changes with um, heart function, um, blood vessels, um, cognitive issues. Um, but the big thing with the bones is the leaching of the calcium. Um, so when that happens, we're not dealing with a healthy system. We're not dealing with bone that's going to remodel at the, at a, at a normal rate. Um, it also can't take normal stresses. Um, so that's when we start to see, and this is especially common with, with young people. Um, but we also see this also in our, our adult athletes sometimes as well, but especially when we're talking about, um, uh, middle school, high school, collegiate athletes, this is something that we see a lot. Um, especially if um, someone has multiple stress fractures, they have a history of multiple stress fractures. Um, and it's a conversation that um, we start to have um, with parents, their physician, their nutritionist, um, their sports psychologist. It's a, it's a team approach. Um, and I think, I think nowadays it's a lot more, people talk about it a lot more and it's a very, because it's very common. Um, and it's, it's, uh, something that can be addressed and solved and, but it needs to be noted, especially when we're talking about, um, someone having a stress reaction or stress fracture, um, of the shin. So that's what relative energy deficiency in sports means, Reds. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Sure. Very cool. Um, well, who knew that talking about the medial shin problems could, <laughs> could have such conversation, um, so we've talked about the medial. Uh, how about lateral? Uh, what what type of things cause lateral shins pain? Yeah, that's that's a little bit more um, infrequent. Um, so this is where we start to remember that little wishbone I talked about with the fibula on the outside, yep. um, and there's muscles that attach to that. Um, and we I see this a lot more when people have issues during when they load, where either their mechanics causes their their lower body to either um, bow out to the side for whatever reason, or we see this a little bit more with kind of structural with um, more either structural or, um, or um, asymmetric side to side mechanics and loading. So if their hip juts out or their knee juts out, 
or their foot, their landing position with their foot is a little bit askew. Um, that's where I see a little bit more of that kind of lateral pain. Um, so that's usually a biomechanics issue. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a structural one, but usually that's my, and when I say that I, it doesn't necessarily mean they're overstriding, I guess I, we see a little bit less of that. Um, so if you are having lateral shin pain, um, I really would have somebody review your gait, um, because there's something probably going on during the loading response for that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, along that same vein, um, can footwear ever be a cause of shin pain in, in any region of the shin? Yeah, um, definitely. It can go both ways. Um, so some people have um, shin pain when they go to a minimalist shoe um, just because it places a higher demand on the calf. And usually that's a transient response. Like so Usually that's temporary. Their calves are just working harder. Their bone doesn't have as, as much, um, you know, uh, midsole material to, you know, help slow down the rate of either pronation or supination. So usually that's a transient response. Um, but, it, you know, having a shoe that has a little bit less sole to it does increase the work of the calf musculature and the bone has to take on a little bit more force. But usually we see this as more of a, a temporary thing. Uh, you can have a shoe that's way too stiff and hard. Um, and that can one, you know, just like running on a hard road that can cause problems, um, also with, with shin pain. Um, and sometimes people respond very well to having material either, whether it be with, um, uh, uh, an arch support that can be over the counter or having a shoe that has a little bit more cush to it. Sometimes people feel some relief in their shin pain because it just slows down the rate of their, um, transition into pronation. So yeah, shoe wear can definitely be either um, something that's the, the impetus for um, having champagne or it can relieve it. So if you've had someone that comes in and they're like, I didn't start having champagne until I changed these shoes and everything else about the same, it's worth taking a look at those shoes and kind of seeing what they're doing for that person and seeing what kind of runner they are. You know, you kind of want to fit that runner to what she feel they feel comfortable in. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can the same be said for, um, Stability shoes, uh, you know, for instance, uh, too much or not enough, uh, because wouldn't that, you know, kind of change your, your biomechanical pattern? Yeah. And so when you know, I was kind of talking about stiff shoes, yeah, you, you know, we don't see these anymore really as much today, but some of those really tri density or, or super motion control shoes that had super hard components to it. And basically when you would, when you would load, um, you didn't have, you didn't have a lot of, of material that would compress when you would load it. Um, so yeah, it can put, it can throw people onto the outside of their, their foot a lot more if that's not appropriate for them. Um, uh, sometimes a, an insert that's overcorrective can do that. Um, so totally. And then, you know, you have roads that have camber, you know, so a camber is when a road is, is tilted. And so it has the same effect as if sometimes when people start having issues on the outside of the leg from, you know, running on a surface that has a slant to it. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, they're just an interface. Shoes are just the interface between your foot and the, and the ground. So they totally can, especially if they drive your mechanics one way or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and, and what Miriam is talking about there, if you picture the road and the slant of the road, if you're always running with your uh, right foot on the downslope uh, and the left foot's on the upslope, even when you come back, your feet are at different angles. So you're creating, you know, probably an overstretch, right, on that right foot yeah uh, yeah so that, you're always running on the outside of your your right foot on that side yes mm -hmm. right right 
so yeah, it's, it's good. Like if you do, you know, kind of an out and back, um, you know, to, to, when you switch directions, make sure that the, the left foot goes on the upward slant, uh, just so you're not constantly getting that, that same wear. Um, <clears throat> so, all right, that's medial lateral and then front of the shin. Um, what do you typically, cause sometimes, you know, I'll have, I'll have uh, a youth come up to me and say, ah, oh, the front of my shin is really bothering me. Um, you know, and, and that's a lot of times, like we talked about beginning of the season, they're just kind of transitioning to the track, new surface. Um, but you know, is there anything beyond that? Yeah. Um, so tenderness along the front of the shin, uh, if you feel that's actually a really sharp ridge there, the cortex of the, the, the shin. Um, and this is where we kind of get into those questions of when we start having shin pain and starting to progress, um, what do we do when we start to suspect a stress reaction or stress fracture? So along the front of the shin, if that's an area that if we start to suspect a stress reaction or stress fracture, we really want to start having that either looked at or solved because that is what we call a, a critical zone. So there's different stress kinds of stress fractures. A critical zone is one we really just don't want to mess with. This thing has to heal or the, the client could be looking at um, a surgical fixation of some of some sort. Um, the front of the, the shin is a place where if we start to develop into a stress fracture, um, we want to get some imaging and we usually have to decrease and shut down loading for a little bit if it's a confirmed stress fracture. So that 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 pain along the front of the shin, it's it's common. Um, but again, we want to make sure that we're starting to solve that and really downregulate it. If someone can't hop on a leg, like they, if they're standing on that leg and they're trying to do some squats and on that leg or little hops and it's super painful, um, they definitely need to have that looked at. Um, especially if you take one finger and you put it on to that front of the shin and it really kind of makes them jump. Um, that kind of focal small bit of pain on the front of the shin is what we usually see as, as probably a, um, a potential stress fracture on the front of the shin. You want to have that diagnosed and treated. Um, on the x-rays, unfortunately, well, I mean, we're talking about imaging a little bit, but x-rays, unfortunately, don't aren't super sensitive to stress fractures. They usually shoot one because they have to. But uh, a lot and I feel really lucky to work with a lot of great orthopedic docs here. Um, if it looks that way. Um, yeah, sometimes they'll order an MRI or a bone scan or they'll just assume it is one and, and treat them accordingly. Um, now, on the inside, the pain on the inside of the shin, that medial tibial stress syndrome, that's usually a little bit more of a larger or broader area of discomfort. And believe it or not, that's actually not what we consider a critical zone. Um, that's that's a it, it can be a stress fracture or a stress reaction. We definitely want to want to improve that. We definitely want to treat that. But um, we don't want to. Um, we definitely can can play around a little bit with those symptoms a little bit more than we do with the pain on the front of the shin. Um, so if we do suspect a stress fracture on the front of the shin, that's a critical zone. Um, if we have a stress reaction on the inside of the shin, we can modify activity, try to make that a lot better. Um, but again, if you if they jump off the table, they can't they can't hop on one leg. You're probably looking at a, a, a stress fracture, and we want to also have that treated. Um, so yeah. Um, so we've talked about how uh, you know we want to kind of increase cadence, which is going to shorten the stride, which, you know, um, let, can we talk a minute about, uh, footwear and right now our industry is, is coming up with some, some really interesting designs with midsoles and such. 
Uh, you know, we, we most shoes, if not all shoes, are going to be to some extent a rocker bottom, right? They're going to help you transition from heel to toe. Um, but we're getting these huge <laughs> bevels on the back of these heels now, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about foot slap for a second because you know, we definitely don't want the foot to accelerate too quickly to the ground and really, you know, create that force and that slap of the foot because those shin muscles are just going to get that really taut really quick. Yeah. Uh, so um, do you want to touch on like the bevels and, and you know, what we're seeing with foot slap and how that can affect runners and, you know, what runners should be aware of when we talk about these things? Yeah, you know, and I, I don't know, I haven't really looked at any of the research reports on the, I don't even know if there are any out yet on those kinds of issues, but, um, A lot of stuff so new. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, if you can hear, you know, it's nice to, to use sometimes the sound of your running. It's kind of hard sometimes, but if you're on a treadmill one, you can and usually by yourself, you can, you can do a pretty good job of it. Or if you're by yourself, um, you know, running, especially on the road, but if you can hear that difference, that's a usually good indication of impact. Um, so I would yeah. obviously shy away from that, but yeah. So um, it, anything, and even a stiff shoe can kind of do this where if you do, you know, rear foot strike or heel strike and heel striking, isn't bad. Like I always want to tell people heel striking in itself is not bad. Pronation is not bad. These are two things that I think, um, really get, um, become villains somehow in our, in our discussion about running, but they're not, they're not bad things. And some people are a lot more efficient, um, rear foot striking. So, um, don't think if you're, you know, if you're a healthy runner, you're feeling good and you find out you're a rear foot striker, it does, it's totally fine. Um, but yeah, so if you have a shoe that kind of catapults you and, and, and onto that, um, onto the front of your foot and you do hear that kind of rapid foot slap and your shins start hurting. Yeah. That's, that's something that definitely you want to start looking at maybe another type of shoe. Um, Right. Yeah. And I mean, to that extent, you know, like a lot of footwear these days, it's really trying to do a lot of work for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I, I always have been a fan of allowing the foot to do what's, you know, it wants to do naturally. Um, you know, are we seeing anything, um, in the research that's, you know, like that's, you know, negative, um, by all of these, you know, kind of mechanical devices that are trying to, you know, in either enhance our gait or, um, you know, is it displacing forces? Uh, you know, we've, 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 we've come so long and far in technology, but, you know, even these new super shoes, mm -hmm. like, you know, is, is there anything that to them that's maybe we should be a little bit more leery about, you know, how much we're using them or if we're using them at all? Yeah. I mean, these are all really great questions. Um, you know, and it, it gets the the question too, like if you're training, um, if these and, and they they you know they have um, pretty much you know um, validated that yes the the four percent shoes do what they they say they're gonna they're gonna do they do help with running economy. Um, so if you are trying to get an edge with your your race your you know half marathon or marathon that there is you know that it does that that does hold water. Um, but when you're talking about training, you know, and you're trying to maximize loads um, to have a training effect on different soft tissues and bone, you know, where do those shoes kind of fall into that category? Do you want to use other shoes during that time? And um, I think there's a lot of unknowns with that. Um, but I do think obviously, I mean, they're not designed to be your only shoes. They don't seem to 
you, you don't have that kind of right. mileage on them. Um, so, you know, I think having other shoes to, to train in and, and be aware of, but yeah, so that, but that's really, you know, you make a good point with all this technology over the decades that shoes have boasted, um, they, we really haven't seen injury, injury rates change. Um, it's kind of right. interesting. So we do when these, you see these systematic reviews of the injury rates, we're still seeing the same injury rates. So, you know, you can't really make a, a, a the research isn't there on a certain shoe design being less injurious. Um, I think there's still the comfort filter. Um, we still have the comfort filter where they find a lot of times the best shoe is the shoe that feels most comfortable to somebody. Um, and really until the 4% shoes came along, you know, the, there wasn't, you know, other research really out there talking about, you know, other than the minimalist indexed. So we know the more minimal a shoe, the more that it's going to work your calf muscles. Um, and yeah. so that's, that's pretty much that's it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I talked about this, uh, just a few episodes ago that, you know, it's, if you can have like a, a toolbox, if you will, of running shoes that you have various drops, right. So that your, your body and you're using different muscles, you know, it's not always zero drop, but it's not always 10 or 12 millimeters. You know, you've got this kind of range where the body can make adjustments, um, and you know, you're, you're kind of not always taxing the same muscles, if you will, if you're training on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, you, you kind of touched a little bit, uh, about, um, arches and, um, you know, perhaps even insoles, um, can, can they ever come into, uh, helping in these scenarios, uh, shin splints and, um, you know, uh, pain in the shin. Yeah. Pain in the shins. Um, yeah. And so when I have a discussion with a client, and we've done their table exam. Um, we've done their their video analysis, and we have a really good idea of um, their own individual system. So the internal forces that we find from the table exam, and then their mechanics when they run. So what the way that they they as an individual um, transfer force externally onto the ground. Um, we talk about some different things we can do to to help with their shin pain. You know, what can we do immediately to keep you running? Because that's the that's the name of the game. And again, the only time that really we shut that down is when we suspect um, a stress fracture, especially a stress fracture in a critical zone. Um, uh, and it does not help to keep running on a stress fracture. I would just I, I know that sounds like very simple words, but if you do <laughs> suspect you have one, the quickest way to get back to running is to get rid of it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if I don't suspect a stress fracture and there's a lot of things that we see that we can, we can do, um, some of these temporary changes in gait that we can transfer forces a little bit. Obviously we can change the internal system with different mobility and strength routines. Um, and then also the research is, is, is fairly sound over the years that we can start to buffer some of the forces when we load. And what I, I like to equate that to is thinking about, whatever shoe and or over-the-counter arch support we talk about is acting like a trampoline, okay? So if we're looking at loading mechanics, and very rarely is the foot at fault, like the foot by itself in a little box, the the whole fault of shin pain. Um, A lot of times we're looking at how the system above is responding. So let's say we take the the example of, um, which is very typical, um, a runner, and maybe they have um, one or two muscles within the the hip and and core complex that are weak. Um, They have a a small um, aspect to their gait that may be causing them to load a little bit harder than they need to. I know that I can help them change their strength and or mobility if they need to and change their gait a little bit. But those are those are changes that take a little bit of time. Okay, so strength changes. 
Um, we can get we can get some motor control changes within a couple weeks. We get strength changes within 10 to 12 weeks. Um, it takes about four sessions to ingrain a motor pattern for the drill. Um, so we're working on all that. And I tell them if you if they want and they look like they'd be appropriate to it, we can look at having um, maybe an over the counter insert or a change in a shoe that may help dampen or slow down their loading into mid stance, um, just like a little trampoline to help buffer those forces. Um, and this can be a temporary bridge until they're 100% better. It might be something that they like all the time. Um, so I'm not having anyone commit to an insert or commit to a shoe change necessarily, but I do, if I, if I think it's appropriate to help them heal, I'm like, this is just part of the healing process. And again, our number one priority is to keep you running while you're healing. And that's the, that's the trick, um, running and healing at the same time. <laughs> Great, great. Um, and with that said, uh, if you know, if we're looking at things that can help promote the healing, uh, you know, while you're you're still active, or just in daily life, um, you know, we've talked about compression in the past. Is there anything in that realm that can help with you know this? Uh, you know, not necessarily a stress reaction or a stress fracture, but you know, potentially with like a shin splint. I know, like there's products out there that are specifically designed for shin splints, like kind of a, a wrap, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then there's like the calf sleeves and the, you know, c- compression socks and all that stuff. Anything in that realm, can that stuff help? Yeah. Um, so there's not anything in the research that really supports the use of a, a compression sock to advance the the healing of a stress reaction or stress, obviously a stress fracture. Um, I think they feel good. Um, so I don't think compression socks are, are ever a bad idea. They have, they do have, they do hold some water in the research with recovery, um, either, you know, after runs or between hard efforts. Um, so, you know, they're great, um, but I don't, they don't really, you know, hold a lot of evidence in themselves that they're going to accelerate the healing process. Um, but a lot of times they feel pretty good. So totally a fine thing to do. Um, but we're talking about that. And even though this was a, an article that was in um, the clinical journal of sports medicine in 2019, um, it was talking about youth athletes. Um, this is also, I think, very applicable to adults at the, the risk factors for these kinds of bone stress injuries. Um, that's what we call those, like in the, along that spectrum of shin splints, all the way to stress reactions and stress fractures or bone stress injuries, BSIs. Um, and I, I wanted to read these these things. So if anything clicked with anybody, um, sleep. Um, sleep is a big one. That's when we heal. Um, they did a they did a um, a study where they looked at what did in, uh, athletes with bone stress injuries have different have have as far as being different than people that did not within the the study. Um, they slept less seven point two hours versus eight hours. Um, even there was a small difference in sleep. I think sleep is a huge one. I mean, I know you as a coach. I mean, you're looking at heart rate stuff, sleep stuff, but that's when we heal. So sleep is is super important. Um, life stress. Um, I think kids have just as much stress as adults. Um, so life stress is a big one. Um, 58%. Uh, huh? What'd you say? Sometimes more. <laughs> sometimes more. Oh, sometimes more. Totally. Um, 58% of those that were injured did not weight train. Um, weight training helps build bone. Um, history of shin splints. So the biggest predictor of a stress fracture is a history of a stress fracture. Um, so just know that when you're when you're an athlete or you're you're dealing with an athlete or you're a parent of an athlete, if you're starting to see this trend, um, you, it, you get it addressed. Um, females, 
consumed less dairy. And I don't think they're trying to promote dairy. They're just saying calcium is a big one um, with, with building bones. Um, energy just sufficient. We talked about the reds, the relatively the relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, and they did not play ball sports. And I, I want to this is something that's really interesting about youth athletes. There is really good research. Um, if you are a, a, a youth athlete, especially a runner, that those athletes that play ball sports, multi-directional sports with running and cutting, they have better bone density. Those runners had better bone density. And the reason is bone like stress. And so um, it doesn't mean that your child needs to go out and join a team like a soccer team or a, a basketball team or anything if they just like running, but have them go out and shoot a ball, shoot some hoops or play around with soccer ball. That running and cutting actually has really good evidence about building bone strength. Um, and it's in those formative years. So um, have or drills, you know, if they have drills doing, you know, side to side, but those, those sports where you just play, um, they call them ball sports usually, you know, where you have those multi directional side to side cutting things are super great for bone density. So, um, you know, something to keep top of top of mind with that. Nice. So. Cool. Um, how about, um, one of the, you know, the, the traditional treatments is like ice. Um, you know, like every time I see uh, a kid coming out of the training room, he's got like ice strapped <laughs> you know, to the front of his yeah. shin. He's walking around like, straight legged with these two ice bags on the shins. Is ice good for, for shin splints or what's the verdict there? Yeah. You know, again, if, if you're dealing with something where you think this is just like, hey, you know, it's the first week of practice and they're a little sore, you know, totally because it, it can dim inflammation a little bit on a superficial level. Right. Um, it's funny because I've actually I've had a I've had a slew of, of stress, bony stress injuries come in lately. Um, and I had one client ask me, well, should I, you know, and I, I, I thought they were kind of teetering on, on maybe um, a stress reaction, a stress fracture at this point. I was sending them over to the doc um, to get some, you know, to get screened. Um, and they asked, should I take ibuprofen? And I was like, honestly, your bone needs to heal. Um, so we really aren't recommending one. I don't, I don't give advice on medications, but I was like, talk to the doctor about it, but our bone needs to heal. And sometimes dimming that natural inflammatory response when it comes to bone. Um, and we know that we're trying to heal something that is maybe not, um, just a, a normal reaction, like a shin splint, but we're in, you know, kind of that, that more injury zone where we're dealing with a stress reaction, um, you know, it, it can feel good, but sometimes it's best to kind of let the body just do its thing and heal um, and not numb it. So um, it wouldn't hurt. I don't feel strongly about um, not doing eyes versus doing a lot of anti-inflammatories. Um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how about massage? Um, you know, we've got all these great tools yeah. out there. <laughs> We're talking about some very small muscles. Um, you know, is there uh, words of advice for, for massage, what should be done, what shouldn't be done? Yeah. So, I mean, the calf muscle, which is, you know, the, the gastrocnemius is the two calf heads and then the soleus, which is the deep calf muscle that's, um, purely for the ankle. Um, we can talk about calf strengthening a little bit later, um, or another podcast, but, um, those muscles, they're, they're a little bit more chunky, you know, so it's massage there, a little bit like rolling. That's always fine. Um, I would be careful. So if you lie on your side and there's some muscles called the fibularis muscles that run along the side of the leg, and that's where that really thin little fibular bone is. Uh, I would be, I would be cautious about cranking on that one. Obviously there's a nerve that goes down along there. Um, so yeah, so somewhat some massage is fine. Um, just don't obviously, go crazy because you can irritate a nerve or you can, um, uh, you know, 
the fibula is not a very thick bone. So, you know, you can really kind of, you know, get it angry. So. So what you're saying is no percussion instruments, huh? (laughs) 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 Stay away. (laughs) Okay. Um, the calf muscles, I think you and I should do uh, another episode mm-hmm. on those because I think that's, you know, uh, that that's a whole, you know, a discussion that we can really get deep dive into with all the calf muscles in that region. So um, we'll, we'll touch on that and how you can strengthen them and such. So uh, we'll save that for another date. Um, you know, we've we've also talked here uh, in, you know, a lot of uh, this discussion has been whether it's you know, possible stress reaction or even stress fracture or worse. Um, you know, in that case, if, you know, if the person, um, you know, has, has come to, to yourself or a physical therapist, uh, but the pain, it continues or has gotten worse, what's their next step? Yeah. So when we're looking at, um, a bone stress injury and we're really looking at possibly something is, it's getting worse, it's alarming, um, you know, I usually send them to an orthopedist. Um, they have a good discussion. That's where we review health, lifestyle, um, also looking at imaging sometimes. So obviously the most inexpensive imaging is usually an x-ray. Um, but unfortunately, um, x-rays are just not very sensitive when it comes to stress fractures. Um, there's, there's, there's pretty good research behind it. And sometimes you'll see them. Um, but if you don't, a lot of times the orthopedist won't really take that with a lot of, um, you know, with a, with a lot of validity and, and either recommend either an MRI or a bone scan. Um, sometimes ultrasound in office ultrasound imaging can look at some of that stuff. Um, but they really want to make sure that they're not having someone continue to run on uh, a stress fracture in a critical zone. And again, for the shin, the critical zone is that front tibia, that very front crest of your shin. Um, so that's really what they want to make sure because they, you don't want to get to a point where it possibly needs to be fixated. Um, and that's also for the hip. There's a critical zone in the hip. There's one side of the hip bone that's a critical zone. So I'm just, I'll just throw it out there. Um, you know, try not to really bang into those things because, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And usually all it um, means is really just to be not doing non-impact sports for a couple weeks when they're confirmed. So it's nothing to be scared about. Um, it'll get you running. Bone heals really well. Again, in a healthy system, bone heals pretty well. So. Um, they usually just shut you down to aqua jogging for a while or elliptical, and then you're back at it. Perfect. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. That's awesome. Um, anything for the, uh, you know, the, the runner that has, uh, kind of, you know, had, um, shin splints for, um, extended period of time or a history of shin splints, you know, it just keeps, you know, manifesting itself. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything you can kind of touch on for them? Yeah. Uh, and, and those are great clients to, to work with because um, you definitely have people that are like, Oh my life, my shins just kind of ache when I run. They, they're not really, they, they haven't been shut down by it, but it's just one of their, you know, it's their proverbial Achilles heel. And usually that is a, that is a loading issue. There's something either going on with their form or with their, um, as far as internally, the system, they can't handle some of the forces, um, and they usually do really well. Um, and so for any, especially for any novice runners out there, there was a study where I think 45% of novice runners that ran to injury never tried running again. Um, these things are super, super common. So, you know, if you tried running and you're like, oh gosh, my shins just keep hurting. I'm just giving it up. I'm not supposed to be a runner. That's sometimes what I'll hear. They're like, I really liked it. But then I think I just wasn't meant to be a runner because I had these shin splints. Um, and that's not true. It's a super, it's like knee pain. It's like a super 
um, common thing and it usually can be solved. Um, so yeah, so if you're somebody that's had chronic shin splints, um, get somebody that, you know, is really familiar with working with a runner, um, that looks at both your, your system and your movement patterns. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's usually pretty successful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Anything that we, uh, we didn't touch on that you want to add to this conversation? Uh, no, no. I just, um, when we talk about shins, I, I love the discussion because there's so many, there's so many reasons for shin splints, but, um, just to highlight, especially if you're working with, um, with young athletes or young adults, um, to be aware of, again, the relative energy deficit in sports, if that might be an issue, that's a great way to become a stronger athlete by addressing that and deal with, um, recur- recurrent stress fractures. Um, kids, um, if you're if you're working with student athletes, um, the best things you can do for them, other than um, you know, I read off those things, but sleep, calf strengthening, multi-directional um, ball play, um, apart from from running, um, these are great things to address in the young athlete. It'll give them good tools for the rest of their lives. Um, and then as adults with shin pain, again, these these reasons that people usually have them are pretty simple. Um, so, you know, don't think you have to live with it just cause it's not stopping you. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I would say to any coaches listening out there of, of youth, um, you know, especially those that are, that are co- track coaches or cross country coaches. Um, if you allow your kids prior to practice to just play soccer or throw around the football, um, or, you know, take an easy day and just play ultimate Frisbee. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these are all really good things that you can add into their training, gets them moving, you know, before the, uh, the day it's, you know, it's a good warm up for the kids. And then, you know, as I said, with ultimate Frisbee, they're moving all around and moving in all sorts of directions. So um, a good way to incorporate it into their training keeps them fresh too. Um, You know, I think a lot of times with our our youth, sometimes we forget that they are just young kids and and they can have fun sometimes. (laughs) Definitely. So, so they need fun. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and Miriam, uh, how can people reach out to you? Yes. Um, I have a website, therunnersmechanic.com. I have an email, runnersmechanic at Gmail. Um, all my information's on there. Uh, the number on there is my cell phone. Um, you can also text me. So, yeah. So if you have any questions, um, I love to talk about stuff like this. Um, so just reach out to me. Oh, Awesome. Thank you so much, Miriam. That was wonderful as always. Appreciate you. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. That was really fun. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Well, of course, Miriam is a wealth of knowledge and has tremendous tips. So I hope you're able to pick up some nuggets, uh, you know, in that conversation um, that will help you uh, or help somebody that you know. So uh, thank you, Miriam. And our next guest is Canyon Woodward winner and new course record holder of the Cruel Jewel 100. So excited for, for Mr. Canyon. Um, this conversation was fun. We really had a good time and uh, it was just real light and uh, just like Canyon, just a real, you know, just a real awesome, awesome person. So thank you. All right. Well, I welcome back uh, in the shortest turnaround ever, <laughs> Canyon Woodward uh, to the podcast. Uh, Canyon just won the Cruel Jewel 100 miler plus <laughs> in in uh, Vogel State Park. Um, he also set a new course record, which was amazing. And uh, Canyon, welcome back. 
Thanks so much for having me back, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're actually live in person, so this yeah. is tremendous. It's it's awesome to to see him. I haven't seen him in uh, too long since I, it was pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's special it, to be face to face. Yes, absolutely. World coming back. Absolutely, and uh, you know, Canyon uh, Canyon has some cool adventures to share, uh, which we will get into for sure. Um, and I want to start with uh, just going back and, and talking about how this all started for you. Yeah, I guess um, being the youngest of four kids named Rivers Forest in the autumn <laughs> in Canyon, just grew up grew up outdoors my whole life. Um, my folks were all about taking us on trails from a young age. I think I went camping for the first time at like three weeks old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it was always just running after them as we built forts and played in the woods and um never yeah never really thought about running um as a kid growing up I was you know really into soccer and played tennis seriously year round and so I'd I'd run just to to train for those other sports but then um it was in high school my junior fall was when I got into um running as as uh, an end in itself um my my high school u.s history teacher was a cross-country coach and she was just desperate for runners over in <laughs> franklin and <laughs> so she she eventually convinced me to come out and try on a meet and so so i did and i had a great time uh fell on my butt at least <laughs> once <laughs> hauling downhill but um finished with a big smile on my face and I was pretty hooked from from then um yeah loved loved running competitively in high school those last two years and then went up north for college and was stuck in the cold icy dreary Boston winters and and didn't didn't run as much through college definitely kept it up a bit but um getting to move back down south in in 2015 2016 i really picked it up again and my older brother forrest is is also a great runner and he was getting into ultras then so he kind of once again dragged me along along (laughs) behind him and that's how i really got back into it um yeah that's awesome yes so um Franklin High School has kind of a storied, historied, uh, you know, amount of, right. of amazing runners that came out of such a small town in such a, you know, far western part of North Carolina. It's pretty amazing to see, um, you know, th- with uh, now they have a new set of twins that are this year doing amazing. They're seniors and on their way to college. And it, back when I was, you know, running uh, in college, I had two twins from Franklin that were the outstanding. Twins, yep, the Pons I, twins. I remember yep. staring yep. up at their records. I think they still stands today. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Daniel Hamilton, um, who's, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, another amazing runner in his own right. So just some really amazing folks coming out of that, that small neck of the woods. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and my, my cross country coach who convinced me into it, Denise Davis, she's a total boss. She, um, <laughs> she, she ran the whole Bartram Trail from start to finish, 120 miles. So that was my first up close glimpse at 
like a really long distance that blew my mind <laughs> yeah sure when when was that like in your that was while i was in high school so oh my goodness yeah, yeah i can't imagine <laughs> like i didn't even know about these type of things in high school and to yeah. to have somebody that was already doing those things that's got to be pretty influential totally um and you had the appalachian trail right in your backyard too right yeah can can see wesser bald and and Wyatt from from the mailbox and it's like a, a 20 minute drive to to the trail at Teleco Gap. You and your brother, I'll never forget the story, like you guys, and I'll let you tell it, you were just out on a random Appalachian Trail <laughs> run, and, and who did you come across? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was in 2016, uh, in the heat of campaign season, I was, I was um, managing the field program for a state senate candidate over here, and the days were just packed and um you know working seven days a week just crazy hours and um hadn't hadn't gotten in a good run in ages but really wanted to get out with forest um so we got out to what is it sam's gap yes. or, yeah, yeah over on the tennessee la- line before before sunrise it was still still dark so that i could get into work in time and we went out on the trail and um <laughs> this this guy was his past with grateful dead blasting and <laughs> um maybe some funny smells and <laughs> another guy soon after him and um they're going pretty slow i'm i'm kind of like who are these scrubs gosh they're <laughs> not not moving that great and it turns out it's just carl melzer uh, casually breaking the AT speed record with <laughs> Scott Jurek pacing him behind. And <laughs> it, was, it was so great. Scott recognized Forrest and invited us to tag, tag along for a bit, which was really fun. That's awesome. That's such a cool story. Forrest and I had been debating whether ultra runners actually run all of the uphills <laughs> <laughs> or not at that point. And, um, we we found out at least in the case of running the whole AT, you, you do indeed hike the uphills. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And we'll talk about the the cruel jewel and how those how those uphills worked out for you. Um, but um, you, you know, you said you kind of had a resurgence around 2015, um, and you know, it, obviously a great influence by your brother. But what uh, what what did you do then? Did you start ultra running in 2015? Yeah, um, I worked. I worked on a film um, with Forrest a little bit called Thirty One Hundred Run and Be- Become, which is a great film by our friend Sanjay, um, and that was inspiring. Just being being around, you know, the ultra scene. Um, that was the uh, uh, Transcendence Run, right? Um, yeah, it followed. It followed. That was the m- main focus and sort of the title focus, and then it also followed a couple of other storylines so the one i got to help out with was um out in canyon de che um and just beautiful beautiful canyon country and um getting to go all all through navajo nation and (laughs) um just see some some really really remarkable running remarkable stories and that and forest was was really getting back into training at that point and so just tagging along with him got me back into it i had dabbled a little bit um actually i don't know if you know this story you'll get a kick out of it if you don't um (laughs) freshman year freshman winter of college was the first time that i attempted an ultra distance and it was frosty foot (laughs) and i hadn't trained at all since um 
the the previous fall over a year ago in high school cross country and um yeah just went into it pretty cold excited <laughs> and um was hauling way faster than i should have <laughs> and it was going okay until about mile mile 24 or thereabouts before sometime before the last aid station and i just hit an absolute wall like i never have in my life i was like starting to kind of hallucinate aid stations around the next corner and then i got to this tree that had fallen across the trail um like it was just a few feet above it and i just draped my body (laughs) across the tree and my arm was hanging down kind of limp right about at ground level and i was so hungry i was like Oh man, maybe the dirt would taste good. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up some dirt and oh started eating it. <laughs> and, uh, some people passed me and were horrified. Like, are you okay, man? <laughs> Finally, I spared spared the rest of the folks and limped limped myself to the aid station. Just chowed down the, the poor volunteers were watching me eat like everything they had they're like are you gonna you, you gonna keep going man like, i don't think so i'm just gonna finish these m&ms and walk back to the cars oh that's great did you not finish that one no, no. oh my gosh that's too funny um and for those that aren't familiar with with frosty foot um uh, Sali is uh, another uh, region in Western North Carolina. It's a beautiful um, course on Fontana Lake, and um, it's a 50k, 30k, and 8k. Um, it has uh, changed hands a few times. I uh, received it from the the, um, the Faulkners and ran it for multiple years, and then I just turned it over to Will Jurgensen. So hopefully that that race continues because it is it's beautiful and um, it's it's yeah. it's not a you know, it's not a butt kicker. It's a great kind of first timer. That would have been a great first time 50k if if Canyon had uh, trained <laughs> 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 and fueled. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tremendous event. That's that's great. So that was your first go at, at an ultra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and what? Uh, how did it proceed from there? Um, actually, the next winter I did similar story, but I trained just a little bit uh, <laughs> through the fall and. Went down and did, I think, the Harbison 50K. I think that's what it was called. A a real flat one. Down in in South South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And just took it real nice and slow. (laughs) (laughs) Had a good time. And that was fun. And then um, the outdoor store in Franklin, Outdoor 76, puts on an awesome race called The Naturalist. Um, They do a 25K and a 50K that starts out right in downtown Franklin, um, and goes up to the top of Wybald, which is gorgeous, uh, right on the AT, big fire tower, and then back down, um, back down to da- downtown Franklin, and it's just a grueling, <laughs> grueling course on a section of the Bartram Trail, and just the steepest uphills and steepest downhills. Yes. Um, but that's a that's a really fun one. That was that was the first. I think the first one that I really trained for because I, <laughs> I knew that that would be a bad deal if, if I didn't. And 
I can't remember when I first did that, but sometime around the end of college, I think. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, And eventually, so how did your progression go? Because obviously you've done 100 miles multiple times now. Uh, Did you do anything in between distance-wise? Yeah, nothing in between really. Um, Did, let's see, I guess did... 50 miles on the Fontaine Dango that, that you organized, yeah, but yeah, sure. that was really just kind of a training training run. Didn't race it. Um, yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. There was a, a little bit of a story there too. Yeah, um, you you brought your friend. Uh, you go ahead and talk about your friend too. Oh yeah, our our friend our friend Brendan Leonard of Semi Rad, who's just a phenomenal writer and comic, came out for that one. Um, so <laughs> and he put on he uh, he uh, people will be familiar with his film. Um, do you want to talk, touch on that too? Oh yeah, he made he made how to run a hundred miles. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he made a great great short film on on the Run Rabbit Run. Really, <laughs> really a big sell for making a hundred miler look fun. Not exactly, but <laughs> but a, an awesome film. Um, that yeah. was hysterical, yeah. Because uh, you guys had run that, and um, I didn't realize who who he was at the time. I had seen the film, but didn't make the connection. And uh, I was listening to, um, I think it was uh, Ultra Running podcast with with Eric Schranz, and and he was the guest. And he's like, "Yeah, I just ran this like little, you know, fifty mile race out in Western North Carolina. You know, my friends recruited me to go run this, and <laughs> I had no idea because so, um, uh, Fontan Dengo was at uh, Fontana Village, which is a resort kind of uh, by Fontana Lake, and uh, it's got you know, it's what was it, uh, five laps, and it's what about eight thousand feet of uh, eight to ten thousand feet of gain, something like that. So it surprised him. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So. Um, I love bringing friends out from the West Coast <laughs> and blowing their minds. <laughs> that was pretty comical. Um, so yeah, you did the, do that fifty mile, and then you moved up to your first hundred, which was which one? Yeah, uh, first one was the CNO Canal hundred, which super flat. Uh, I'll, I'll never never do a, a flat hundred again like that. But that you know probably. Probably an okay one to ease ease into, yeah. um, and you did that with your brother too, correct? Yeah, yeah. did that with Forrest, and Brendan came came out actually to to pace us for nice. that one. <laughs> it was it, it was great. He caught us at came in at mile seventy with a, a playlist that he'd made for us, which was super <laughs> sweet. But we hated it. It was making us <laughs> nauseous. <laughs> Forrest dropped back like a hundred yards after a shot, and I finally asked him to turn it off and <laughs> he was he was real talkative just super up a beat which is great but we were just in the heart of darkness just like <laughs> plowing forward and <laughs> he was he was so self-aware about it and awesome he sent a hilarious meme uh, about it in the morning of when your pacer shows up extra chatty at <laughs> the end of the race but um yeah never really planned never yeah, the hundred miler kind of just came out of um, having a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> we, we, you know, we were getting into running, had done the naturalist, it, it went well, and we're like, all right, let's pick up a training plan. And I opened up the book for, uh, Relentless Forward Progress, and 
I was like, all right, what's the best they've got in here? And there's a <laughs> training for for a hundred milers. So I was like, all right, let's let's do this running plan first. And <laughs> so we started doing that, and it wasn't until we were a good ways into it that we were like, well, I guess we should look for a hundred miler to run if we're doing the training plan for a hundred miler. <laughs> so that's how we did that, and that was in 2018 in the spring, and have kind of been on a cycle since then of putting in putting in a hard six six or so months give or take yep. through the winter training <laughs> and then doing a 100 miler or, or a long objective in the spring nice that's cool since. um so 2018 so then 2019 that brought you to hellbender right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and hellbender was a obviously a different experience than uh the Sino. <laughs> yeah <laughs> understatement <laughs> um you know, and uh, we can talk as much or as little as you want about about that one. Um, it, it, I, you know, I got to obviously witness that one firsthand. <laughs> uh, why don't you talk a little bit about like what what what, what transpired? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the Hellbender was awesome. That was, yeah, that was my first first real encounter with uh, with a a big long distance mountain race. Um, and gosh, that you know, the Hellbenders an incredible race you put on <laughs> just such a cool event um it's so so grueling um i had i feel like i'd put in a a really solid training season yep. in the lead up with this <laughs> slight asterisk of <laughs> of uh an ill-advised taper at the <laughs> at the end that involved a <laughs> a three-week bender down the grand canyon <laughs> with with friends uh just super lethargic on on rafts drinking beer from sun up to sundown you're well tapered <laughs> very well tapered extra well tapered <laughs> um and yeah that i mean you know i think i think the race went okay for for the amount of experience i had at the time and for, for the taper that i had put in um i yeah i went out went out pretty fast and was you know with with the three of us at the front yep. through the first third of it or so and then i opened up a a little bit of a a lead um through through the middle sections and and was feeling great accidentally took a wrong turn (laughs) and started going back up mount mitchell a second time i got a phone call (laughs) yeah got service and i called Aaron. and i was like it it looks so familiar i felt i felt like frodo and sam in lord of the rings (laughs) we're going in circles i was Uh, so glad that i had reception (laughs) yeah i I told him to turn around and go back down to the station and hang a right (laughs) yeah so so I did that uh, at that point I saw I saw Sam coming in the site uh behind me and that made me really turn on the jets <laughs> frantically and I I really botched my my fueling and hydration at that point um and came into came into mile 72 right around dusk was feeling okay, but I sat down, changed changed out of my soaking socks and shoes, um, and um, my friend Chloe, who we talked about last time on the podcast, had had come down from Maine to to, to help crew, and um, my freshman roommate from college had had come to help pace me on 
that eight mile section, but they had just arrived from the airport. We hadn't seen each other in ages, so it was kind of like reunion, like chatty, like yeah, good to see you. And they had never, you know, crewed any kind of event like that, so not much conception of like, okay, we should get going. <laughs> so um, I came out came out of there really feeling the stiffness setting in on my legs. Um, was was peeing a pretty dark kind of reddish color um <laughs> it was definitely descending into into not a great place and um sam sam whizzed by me on the uphill climb out of there and um i had i had looked at the elevation profile uh in my last minute planning the day before and the 72 mile to 80 mile stretch on the super zoomed out elevation profile <laughs> looked so chill it's like oh this is gonna be a great little just like eight mile cruise downhill to, <laughs> to the mile 88 station but you zoom in on that and it's the most brutal up and down up and down just yes. quads breaking uh, yes stretch. that's uh, the infamous stretch of uh neil's creek up to the parkway and then you descend to lead mine and then everybody that has run or knows of lead mine <laughs> it is probably one of the worst worst sections of the course just uh just because of where it is and what it is it's so yes i i'm, it, I'm sorry it, bro- <laughs> it broke me so bad <laughs> apology accepted <laughs> a few years late but i'll take it <laughs> no uh, but yeah came came limping in the 80 just feeling like oh so bad i wasn't i felt like uh, i honestly felt like I was gonna pass out if oh I if I tried to keep on running. I I could have. It would have taken very little to to convince me to drop at that point. But um, luckily had had forced tapping in at that point to to pace me, and yeah. he was phenomenal. Just got me to keep keep shuffling along. <laughs> I, I I couldn't eat anything i was so nauseous um but he kept on just trying to get me to take a bite of of plain bagel and (laughs) kept doing that and finally i was able to eat a little bit and a little bit more and um he got me he got me eating again and um finally finally starting to jog (laughs) some and and hike hike the long there's a long climb out of there after you get off the roads and and then by the time we got up and over, was was able to turn it on again and and run pretty well down to the down yeah. to the finish. Nice, yeah, which yeah. puts you in third. Third, yeah. yeah. So you took and, third overall, and and uh, you still broke twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, I I was actually looking looking at it back at it, um, planning for the crew jewel, and I realized that in my in my head I felt like you know I, I totally blew up and you know didn't didn't do near as well as as i wanted but i was looking at my um my prep for that and i think my my fast goal was 23 hours and i think i came in in like 23 12 i want to say i was yeah i was only like 12 minutes off of <laughs> the, the, the goal time nice. that i'd set so that's awesome yeah. that's awesome um so takeaways from from hellbender that helped you for uh for cruel jewel yeah a lot of them it was it was such a learning experience um i mean fueling fueling and hydration were, were definitely up there at, at number one i think just not not letting those slip just staying on it staying on it early there were 
there were a couple of points where um where i ran out of water in between aid stations mm. um what were you carrying i was carrying just two soft flasks okay and i i kicked myself for not having three yeah it's there are some long sessions on hellbender that yeah there's just remote and you know i mean if you have a filter you'd yeah. be okay but totally yeah but yeah if you don't have that that extra capacity it can come back and bite you for sure yeah especially if it's warm <laughs> yeah yeah, and being being prepared for the nighttime section, I I wore contacts for Cruel Jewel, and I was I was going a little a little blind bat in the <laughs> <laughs> the darkness of, of Hellbender. I I um I'd start out wearing my glasses, but it was so rainy, I I put them away, and I think I I don't know, I guess I just forgot to pull them out again <laughs> for the night section in my stupor. Um, <laughs> what do you do for for lighting? Did you do anything differently from Hellbender to Cruel Jewel, or did you? Yeah, I um I had a I had a black diamond um I don't, I don't know the the model but it takes like four double A batteries. It's a beast. <laughs> um it has icon probably. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it stays stays bright for a while. Um and I had that for the Hellbender um but I didn't use it for that. 72 to 80 section because i was like oh this won't take more than an hour hour and a half <laughs> it's three it's hours later late. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that and then just the the huge importance of of an awesome an awesome crew and and good pacing to to come in and <laughs> carry your carcass to the, to the finish line <laughs> right on um anything else that you can think of yeah feel like feel like those those, those are the main points. well also not 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 sitting down that was a big thing i put in my mm. notes to the crew this time around yeah. was like don't let me sit yeah if if it if at all possible yeah <laughs> no sitting down especially after mile 50 yeah um you know my bread my bread and butter's flying recklessly downhill <laughs> and um after my after my legs stiffened up a little bit i i wasn't able to do that on the hellbender yeah right on well and we're going to talk a little bit more about what you did you know differently especially nutritionally uh in cruel jewel but um did you plan on running cruel jewel in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, yeah okay yeah and it just got deferred obviously to to this year right okay um so let's talk a little bit about the training for this one um, what, what did that look like? Did you go to the Grand Canyon three weeks prior? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, my taper, taper was much more sane for this one. Um, yeah, I did. So I was training, I was training for it in 2020, like you said, and then ended up doing an attempt at, at the scar instead in early June. Right. Um, Which you still had a great run. You were, yeah, came yeah. up came up well well short of the fkt <laughs> but um it was it was a great experience that's such an amazing amazing route through the smokies yeah. just gorgeous um kind of bonked on that one too and and got a bit dehydrated um <clears throat> so another good another good learning and then it was um you know i was managing chloe's state senate campaign like we talked about um a couple weeks ago and so i was straight back into that as well as balancing another part-time job in climate work and so really didn't didn't run to speak of 
um, after that, like June through November, just like a little bit here and there where I could, could fit it in just right. <laughs> for my mental health. But, um, um, yeah, came back, got to come back to North Carolina right after the election, like mid November and took about a month of just full on reset, um, coming, coming down off of the craziness of campaigning and then, um, started to, started to get in a good rhythm of running again, kind of towards the end of December and started, started training seriously, like right around the beginning of January. Great. Um, yeah. Did you have any, um, lead up events? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, I had, I did a, um, I did the seven miler over at Black Rock. Outside oh yeah. The assault silver. Yeah. Silver. Yeah. The assault on Black Rock. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But, yeah. 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 And training was like, I think for the most part, like 55, 60 miles a week was generally what I was doing. I had nice. one, one week, maybe a month or so ago where I did a back to back and that was an 80 mile week. But right on. Other what, than what was that, your longest run? Uh, longest run was 20, 25 miles. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously out there in Franklin, you've got plenty of opportunities for, for vert. Do you remember what your biggest vert week was? No, I'm not sure. I, I, I wasn't really tracking, tracking vert actively. Um, yeah. well you're on I'd, Strava, so, you know, anybody interested could really just <laughs> <laughs> follow yeah. you on Strava. It's just Canyon Woodward, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're interested, you can, you can guys can dive back and see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My go, go to runs were, you know, that, uh, Teleco Gap to Wyabald section of the AT and back, which has which has a good bit in it, and then the Bartram Trail out yeah. of Franklin, which has yeah. so much, and then um, yeah, even the yeah, even the 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 midweek seeking out flatter ground section you, unless you just do laps in the Baptist Church parking lot, you can't find too much uh, too much flat ground, um, so. So yeah, even on the on the easy days, was picking up a decent amount. Nice, cool. So this leads you up to uh, to you know the race itself. Um, what was kind of your your plan? Uh, what were you thinking ahead of time? What did you have like a pacing plan, um, a time goal, anything like that? Yeah, my my time goal was twenty six hours, which okay. I thought was pretty ambitious. <laughs> um, that that would have been um top top five at that point for for the course um and um yeah kind of kind of based my my goal times for each aid station just based off of um someone uh, I, I forget i forget who it was but someone ran it in 25 hours um exactly a couple of years ago so that was a really easy one to just com- <laughs> convert the math off of okay convert 25 to 26 and um so <laughs> with no knowledge of how that race actually went for him he could have <laughs> been flying through the first half and then bonked the second and then <laughs> i'm stuck with a <laughs> crazy plan but <laughs> that's how i did it for better or worse um yeah and um my mom was phenomenal crew chief as usually just had it dialed and and dad on on support as well and yep um my brother rivers came out from 
um, from a full day working at, at his clinic um, to crew the graveyard shifts through the night. And nice. um, my friend Abby came out from Boulder to, to help crew and then and then paced me for the, the final 30. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's cool. So uh, just one pacer, just Abby, final 30. Yeah. Right on. Um, this race is, uh, is it 106? Am I thinking right? Yeah. They say 106. At, my watch said something my watch else. said they were like 108 or 109. Yeah. And I, I think uh, Mark Rollins texted me and he had 112. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's, some, there's some bonus miles in there somehow, um, which, you know, given the time you ran is incredible for, uh, for you know, having whatever the distance is. Um, and then the vert, for those of you that don't know Cruel Jewel, what did you get for vert totals? Um, my watch actually, <laughs> my watch actually died at <laughs> like mile 75 and I stuck it in my bag with a charger and, and it fell out, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> which is a huge bummer. So, so, uh, I'm not sure what the, the vert tally was. They, okay. they say it's 33,000 feet of gain. I, I'm not sure that it's quite, quite that much, but. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so race is coming. You're looking at the weather. What were you thinking? Oh my god, the weather (laughs) could not have been more splendid. I know it was crazy. I mean, that's fantastic. Talk about perfect. Yeah, we got we got a day or two of of rain midweek, so the the course was still just like really nice and soft, but not muddy at all to speak of. Sweet. Yeah, and then it was, gosh, I, I don't remember. I think like high in in the mid sixties or yeah, something like that. Because it's a noon start, yeah, yeah, noon I, start, yep. which I loved. <laughs> uh, slept in, slept yep. in until like eight a.m. in the morning. And nice. Had a, a leisurely, leisurely morning. Got over there, and there was a nice cloud cover for a lot of that afternoon too. And then the. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when I tried to run it in 2019, it was like 85 or 6 at the start. <laughs> and it just got hotter. Yeah, that was uh, yeah that, that's the typical weather. But you guys had a beautiful year this year, which yeah. is amazing. Um, starts in Vogel State Park. Um, and uh, anybody that's run uh, Georgia Death Race or uh, Duncan Ridge or H9, <laughs> they they all have the, the same type of start. And um, – you uh, you kind of start a little bit on the park road and then you just hit the single track, you know, pretty much not even like a half mile into the race. So um, how were things when you started? Were you, you feeling light and good and good to go? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I was feeling great. I, I mean, I was a little I'm I'm the furthest from type A, um, always, <laughs> always late everywhere and <laughs> chronically underprepared. So I was like <laughs> stressing my my whole team out at the beginning trying to get my contacts in with like eight minutes till start time and then hadn't hadn't gotten my pack loaded up for the first 20 miles of 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 gels and and whatnot till i'd see my crew again so i was stuffing them in my pack as i walked towards the line and uh, that sounds about right. Two minutes from from starting gun, got <laughs> got to the line with <laughs> final things <laughs> in the bag. And, uh, but yeah, went out there feeling feeling good, blown blown my kazoo that I found in a, <laughs> a stray pocket. And, um, 
yeah, went out, went out at a, you know, relaxed, fast clip with with a couple of other guys at the front, um, about a mile and a half or so climb out of there, and then, um, then I made my big move at, at, <laughs> at mile two because that's that's what it's all about in a hundred miler. <laughs> that's where you win it. So I. Uh, <laughs> past them and went flying downhill to to the first little water aid station (laughs) um and yeah and then and then so you had the blacked out for a a hundred miles and then i was at the finish and (laughs) it was a good deal (laughs) so yeah you um you said you packed your your bag full of gels just talk about what was the kind of stuff that you packed what were you uh subsisting off of um spring gels was was my okay. go-to. All right. Um, funny story there too. Actually, I'd <laughs> I'd um, I'd run out of them. I don't use them training that much because they're ridiculously expensive. <laughs> um, I just ordered if some last night. Has an in yeah. <laughs> holler at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had ordered a, a shipment for the Cruel Jewel, and I was on just an easy easy jog. Grabbed them out of the mailbox, and you know, typical Western North Carolina style. We've we're up this super long dirt road from the mailbox and i was like oh my gosh this package is so heavy i don't feel like jogging with it all the way home so i left it at the end of our dirt driveway which doesn't have any traffic at all and you know it's anyway the the package disappeared which is crazy (laughs) i can't wrap my head around it but um so then that was like a week a week out so but that had shipped on monday and gotten there on a thursday so i was like okay i think if they get it in the mail monday we should be okay so reordered and um anyway the the reorder did not come through in time oh no luckily found the shop on the on the way back from picking abby up um from the atlanta airport (laughs) oh my god stock up on them so (laughs) so i had my spring gels and um Somebody else has your spring deals too. Yeah, someone Jeez. else too. Um, yeah, and then quesadillas are my other other big food that's consistently palatable. Right. Um, okay. And is, was that uh, something that the crew made for you, or did they have those at the aid stations? Um, yeah, most uh, the crew crew made it for me. The aid stations had them, but I you're picky. Really got <laughs> no. It was it was such a it was such a bummer. The um, I mean. Obviously, all of the all of the folks at the aid stations were awesome, but they were, um, they, yeah, I don't know that um, they were not ready for me. Oh, you were coming through quick. Coming uh, through. There was there was never um, yeah yeah no, there was no hot food ready. No yet. hot food. Um, so was, how did uh, how did your crew make those? What did you guys have with you? Um, they had just a little Camp like, pocket rocket. Oh, okay. With a with nice. a can. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So. That, that, well. that was nice, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. And then, um, you know, what did you guys do for um, hydration? Um, I tried to take in um, – I don't – I, re- I kind of just drank, drank to feel. Like I w- would try and do a flask of Tailwind, a flask of water between each and um, – the eight stations were were really close together, which is really okay. nice. The longest one is seven and a half miles, I think, mm-hmm. but most of them were more like five or six. Gotcha. Um, so it was able to really get away well with with just two flasks and good. Yeah, I'd never really done tailwind in the race. I, I think that 
definitely fl- threw me on on Hellbender as well. I drank maybe like one or two <laughs> flasks of, <laughs> of Tailwind, but yeah, took in a lot more electrolytes this time. I, Good. I maybe took one or two little salt chews um, as okay. well, and just pounding some sea salt and vinegar chips and Pringles <laughs> and <laughs> you know salty peanut butter pretzels and, and whatnot. Cool. So that helped. Yeah, good. Good. That sounds like the the nutrition was more on point this go around. Yeah. You didn't have any energy lulls? No. Um Stephanie who who we were chatting with yep. a couple of weeks ago here on the on the podcast. Um just who's a doctor, dietitian, ultra running genius. She was just <laughs> like fuel fuel early, fuel often, just yep. just really prioritized that from the get go, so I did and that really served me well. Good. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of talked about earlier how uh, do you do ultra runners hike? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed they do. Um, so uh, Cruel Jewel is nefarious for just no switchbacks. Um, yeah. yeah, the way they cut the, uh, especially the Duncan Ridge Trail, and I've talked about this in the past, uh, it's just straight up and straight down. Um, ha- like, you know, going through the race, did you hike early or did you try to run early? What, what was your plan there? Or how did it actually pan out? <laughs> yeah, I decided to go ahead and take my poles with me from from the get-go yep. rather than pick them up at 20 just to keep myself honest with not going out too fast because I think I have a tendency to do that. Um, and so I, I used them. I broke, broke out the poles some as early as um you know the the second climb coming out out of wolf creek um long climb up up to the top of kusa um mm-hmm. so i was i was speed hiking that for for some good portions and then jogging jogging the easier inclines um but nobody had gone with you from two miles on nobody was yeah yeah no. <laughs> <They just let laughs> thankfully, <you go. laughs> thankfully never <laughs> i mean not really thankfully but yeah never <laughs> it was was lonely lonely at the front <laughs> did you have any type of music or anything like that um no i didn't i i i had some headphones as an option in my in my night bag when i restocked but i never pulled them out wow i mean so the, you know basically 70 miles and you know you're just kind of <laughs> you did like you said you just blacked out but yeah you're just in your own thoughts yeah you know had some songs stuck in my head from the aid stations here and there uh but yeah just yeah just chugging along right on enjoying it, easy course. to stay positive or was there any times where you know it, yeah pretty pretty good staying positive i was just really <laughs> preparing for uh, a blow up at, at mile <laughs> 75 like happened in the hellbender and just trying to to really enjoy the feeling of of being out there in these mountains that i love so much yeah. and just like mm, enjoying <laughs> enjoying that perfect weather and beautiful crescent mu- crescent moon and getting to run through through the night during you yeah. know re- reasonably early stretch of the race and um well, you yeah, get to when you spin around, you get to see people because it's an out and back. So, right? Yeah, yeah that, that, that must that have been great. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, that that was really nice getting to see folks. I um, coming out of you train around at Camp Morganton, and um, that stop that stop didn't feel like it went great. It, I think 
I think I was there for upwards of 15 minutes, maybe, okay. at, at like mile 50. Um, so Why was that? Um, um, let's see. I guess <laughs> I, I was waiting on food a little bit. Okay. Trying to get some, some hot soup uh, and broth and putting on, you know, changing clothes, putting on pants, um, getting warm stuff yeah. at night. Okay. Um, kind of just resupply. Yeah, yeah. Um, it had, I, <laughs> I, had, I was way ahead of of the time that I told my crew I was going to be there. <laughs> so, so they they were just getting there and kind of getting organized. So there's a little bit of shuffling around, just trying to find different things and, and make sure it's good to go for a long stretch yeah. back on my own. But right so, yeah, coming out of there, I, I saw I saw Chris who was in second coming coming in. Just you know, he was only a few miles out at that point. So. Um, I think that gave it, gave him some motivation, I'm sure, to make a, an efficient turnaround there. And he was he was hot on my <laughs> tail from there. I was really feeling his heat throughout the the whole rest of the race, which was awesome. I think for for both of us, um, it was it was really cool. He was he was eight minutes behind me at the next aid station at Deep Gap. Yeah, um, and <laughs> and I I had my phone with me, and I I pulled up the the live tracking to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to see what what my margin was and i i saw that and um that was kind of in the, in that stretch was the only time that that um that my thoughts verged towards the negative a little bit just beat <laughs> myself up a bit for not being more efficient through through camp morganton but <clears throat> then i was kind of like hey i i took my time to to really really eat and fuel well there and i'm feeling good because of that and good. Um, I was able to really turn it on for, for that loop out of, out of deep gap and back to deep gap. Um, I think I ran it significantly faster than I did on the way out. Um, and I think I was looking at it yesterday. I think, I think I was pretty close to a negative split overall. Um, wow. Yeah. To look at it more closely, but yeah, the way back went, went great. Awesome. That's cool. Um, it, no problems with the feet or chafing or anything? No, not, not bad. Just, just a tiny bit of, of your normal chafing, but nothing that was distracting and, Good. um, no blistering. No. Yeah. I was a little bit worried about my feet. Um, you know, first maybe 30, 30 miles in or so I was like, wow, I forgot how much it <laughs> hurts your feet to <laughs> pound them for this long but um i don't know i guess they went numb at some point <laughs> didn't feel them anymore which was nice what did um, you choose for footwear um i let's see I, I hadn't gotten new running shoes in i think about three years maybe two <laughs> two and a half years um um which i don't recommend especially now in <laughs> in comparison looking back at it um i'm uh, I, I just joined this awesome amateur racing team based out of the Craftsbury Outdoor Center um, in Vermont, all, all remote based, called the Green Racing Project, um, which is a, a great crew. But they 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 <laughs> bought me some shoes, <laughs> um, and I got some I got some of the Hoka Evo Speed Goats. Oh, um, cool! And those those felt great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's a good choice, especially for that course. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very good. So uh picked up Abby around seventy. 
uh, ish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that's always uplifting. Um, that, you know, especially seeing friend and and exactly. having company since you've been alone for so long. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, it must have been a you know uplift of the spirit. So, um, talk about from from there onward. How did that go? Yeah. Um, yeah. Picked up Abby. She's a phenomenal athlete. She won a national championship as a triathlon, and you know, top top five at North Face fifty, and just. All around. Wow. Phenomenal crusher. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was great to have her in the crew all day, just absolutely pushing me through through the aid stations. Um, and then picking her up, um, yeah, it was just, just really good for reminding me to stay on, on top of fueling, especially through, through the last 30, especially, like, <laughs> I remember it. Um, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 miles out. I was like, oh, we're only eight or 10 miles out. I can probably stop eating now. <laughs> and she was like, hell no, shut that down real quick. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it was, it was great having company through the, through the last of, of the dark hours and cool. Um, beautiful beautiful sunrise and oh man that's awesome valleys just filled with clouds you know yep. and the inversion yeah. yeah that's beautiful yeah cool uh and then there's one more kick in the teeth you have that like you know the the downhill that you descended at the beginning to take your lead you got to climb back up that yeah. <laughs> back up kusa the spine of the dragon i think they call it um yeah it honestly um we were we were prepared for that one to be way worse but it it yeah, good. And it just flew flew by all right, and then um, yeah, started on. There's a long dis- descent from there, pretty much from the top of Kusa to to that Wolf Creek aid yep. station at like three, a little over three miles out, and um, so was able to able to. I still still had in my legs to just <laughs> let loose and lean nice. downhill and and just. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was just flying, flying downhill awesome. to Wolf Creek, um, <laughs> lost, lost Abby, uh, oh. um, <laughs> and was able to just keep on, keep on running from Wolf Creek at a little over three miles out. Um, there's about a two mile climb there and yeah. I was able to run almost all of that uphill and, and yeah, have you ever catch back up or <laughs> no, no. <laughs> gotcha right on. So uh, you got your your final descent. Were you checking your your live tracking still, or um, <laughs> that 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 was when I uh, I asked Abby to pull it up, and <laughs> and then I and then I snuck away as she was <laughs> look, <laughs> looking at the phone, <laughs> pulled my move. Um, yeah, never. I, I I didn't get the the last the last update. And decided to just <clears throat> best strategy was just uh, haul ass for the finish. So <laughs> that's nice. what I did. And, Chris was was hot on my tail. He came in a solid, I think, forty minutes, thirty minutes ahead yeah. of the, the previous best. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So he, he finished and, and got a new course record, which was uh, twenty one. Uh, help me here. Twenty one. Oh, remember? <laughs> I think it was twenty two thirty six. I want to say. Okay. And the previous was like twenty three. 50 or which was uh avery collins did avery had the record do you remember no um i'm, I'm blanking or was it carl carl Meltzer had said it and then it had been broken 
but I'm blanking okay. on the name. Yeah, that's okay. We can <laughs> we can all look back <laughs> at Ultra Sign Up and see. Uh, so yeah, you finished with the course record. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Uh, aside from the win, uh, Chris obviously had a great run as well. Uh, and rounding out the top three uh, was Jonathan Ibach. Um, yeah. And Jonathan has no. also won Hellbender. Um, as, or no, I'm sorry. He was second at Hellbender to Carl in <laughs> the yeah. year Carl ran. Yep. Uh, so really cool to, to see. Uh, I didn't know Chris, but uh, did you know Chris? No. No. From, from Fort Collins. Yep. Yeah. So super cool. Um, was uh, qualifying or getting a qualifier for Hard Rock, was that part of why you did it or yeah 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 totally that was that was yeah getting getting into the hard rock and and western states lotteries and getting utmb points was yeah kind of yeah that was what what drew me to sign up for it cool originally. right on yeah excellent so you've, you've started your <laughs> your tickets going for uh the two big u.s ones and started getting your points for utmb um any other races that you're thinking of for for utmb points or it's going to be interesting to see how they announce things with uh you saw their merger uh it's like a business partnership mm. with uh, uh iron man um, oh, okay I didn't... okay yeah so uh they're gonna start creating kind of a um a grand prix if you will and you can collect what they're terming stones and this is something that they've started recently but if you do a utmb race you can collect a stone and then the more stones you collect uh the uh the better your chances are in the lottery um, the unfortunate thing is we do not have one in North America. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, and which is what I kind of perceive as why they brought in Iron Man is to help kind of create something here within the United States that's going to be able to, to to hold something like a UTMB because you know here obviously I mean just as you saw in Cruel Jewel and Hellbender we're obviously limited in numbers and that's by permit mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not sure how they're going to get by that because UTMB being you know, 2,500 people just in the 100 miler alone. I don't foresee we'd be able to do that unless it's on like private property. So yeah. we'll have to see how that goes. But, um, but super cool. Um, yeah, I'm glad you got those in, man. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, now it becomes the uh, sustaining your, <laughs> your lottery tickets, uh, <laughs> yeah. which I guess Western States is, is really cool because they just said you won't lose your tickets if you do not do one the next year you just you know you just don't go into the lottery so nice. that's pretty cool um because i've known people that have lost <laughs> all of their tickets because they couldn't get a qualifier oh. in but um so yeah it's 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 a good time to start putting in your tickets um and yeah, uh i'm excited excited to see what what happens uh, i'm getting to go out and crew hard rock um oh cool help man the the kroger's canteen aid nice. station this this summer at like mile 70 <laughs> something out Very there cool. so i'm really excited just to just to yeah get a get a taste of it and get yeah. to help folks through, through that's the cool. end of it Should that's really very cool fun. any other plans for you for this year um tbd was really just waiting to see how this went um my mo has like i said really just been to to train for one big one and then slack off for <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the year but i feel like i'm coming out of cruel jewels still with a um yeah you know already feeling feeling pretty pretty good yeah he's walking pretty well folks he's walking pretty well (laughs) yeah we're recording this on uh monday uh the 17th and he just finished on uh saturday the 15th so (laughs) he he looks like he's doing pretty well i'm I'm hungry for more so so uh yeah taking recommendations for sure (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um we talked about last uh episode how people can connect with you but what's uh what's you know 
we'll just review that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Emails canyonwoodward at gmail dot com. Um I'm on Instagram and, and Strava and yeah, we'd love to connect on any of those platforms. <laughs> well, thanks again, buddy. And once again, congratulations on such a fantastic race. Thank you so much, Aaron. <laughs> Congrats once again to Canyon Woodward, uh, new course record. Just amazing. Um, love Canyon. I love his attitude. Uh, just so young, vibrant, and happy, and grateful. Just, you know, just really, just amazing person. So congrats, Canyon. So fantastic. Um, and thank you once again to Miriam, Miriam Saloon, for her uh, for her conversation. I really appreciate the time and uh, for all that she shares. We've already come up with a few new conversations that we want to have going forward. So uh, she will, of course, be a, a repeat guest just because I feel like we can learn so much. So thanks to her. Um, in, you know, in other news, um, <clears throat> uh, once again, my voice is strained. <laughs> Uh, last night we had our um, middle school conference meet. My son ran, um, so I am recording this on May nineteenth, and uh, he did tremendous. As did you know all the middle schoolers. It was really fun to watch. Um, you know, being a, a a big running fan like I am, it's just fun to be around track and field at whatever level. Um, and you know, especially to watch your son, uh, it's just uh, such a such a treat. He did phenomenal. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, watching him in the mile, and uh, I just, you know, I get carried away, just get so caught up in in, in his splits and <laughs> and making sure he's okay. You know, it's like a parent worrying. Um, well, yeah, obviously I am a parent worrying, but uh, even as a coach, you know, I, I, I get caught up in all my athletes. Um, we had a, a phenomenal performance from – one of our, our women, um, she, oh gosh, she did so amazing. Uh, she's a seventh grader, ran the mile as well, um, set a new school record. She ran 539. Um, it was just so cool. Keegan ended up running uh, 454, and both of them won two big PRs. Uh, just amazing performances by both. Um, you know, prior to recording this, <clears throat> um, I was listening to. Uh, uh, George Sheehan's book. Uh, if you're not familiar with George Sheehan, he used to write uh, for Runner's World magazine. Uh, he was very philosophical, um, really enjoyed his articles. Uh, he has a book. Uh, it's called Running and Being. It's it's tremendous. I've, I've had it in the newsletter in the past. Um, and uh, you know, I, I just like to listen to it every now and again. And I was listening to this chapter, and he's talking about uh, the mile. And, you know, the difference between the mile and everything else. Uh, and, you know, he says there's there's three different, um, um, you know, three different, um, how did he term it, um, disciplines in uh, in running. And there's the, the dash or the sprints, and there's the mile, and then there's the marathon. You know, we're, we're talking kind of, obviously, Olympic um you know, distances here. And, um, so, but he defined them as the sprints are physical. You know, it's, it, it really just requires your physical being. Uh, the marathon is both physical and mental in which you have to go, you know, to the, the depths of your mind to, to fight through the walls that come later in the race. But the mile he termed as, um, both physical and mental and also spiritual. And 
if if you've not ever raced the mile on the track or uh you know just in a in a road race or something um it truly is a different event um you know the uh the the places that you have to go um the discomfort that you have to feel um is just amazing you know i i can't stress i think the the best kind of summarization of the mile i've ever read was in the uh the the fictional book um once a runner and i've talked about that in the past by john parker uh junior and he just did an amazing job in once a runner of describing the mile and what it feels like um you know i i, I chased the sub four mile myself um and uh I, I, the closest i ever came was 408 so um it was it was amazing you know to see to see that uh in these kids and just see the the fight you know um Keegan ran by himself but he was pushing you know he was pushing hard um so really awesome to see that that desire uh, to you know to go into the the depths of the soul to pull out whatever was going to you know come from that from that race um, as well as, uh, from the young lady, you know, uh, on our team that, that ran, uh, it was, you know, she, uh, had a challenge, uh, this, this, um, young woman from another team had beaten her in cross country at conference and we knew they'd be racing head to head in the mile. Both of them were fresh for the mile. And, um, you know, the, the other young woman from the other team just sat on, on our girl and, um, they uh they went through three laps and then the other young woman tried to take the lead and they fought that last lap and i mean it it was hard i mean even at the line i really couldn't have told you who won um thankfully they had a camera system and um you know our our young lady obviously came out on top uh just it was tremendous you know inspirational uh, whatever level it's, you know, it's run, it's just fun and inspirational to watch, especially when you see the joy and exuberance, um, the, and the fatigue, uh, that comes with, uh, with, with racing, you know, the mile, um, it, it was tremendous. So, uh, congrats to, to all those kids. And, um, Keegan came back in the 800, um, had a, uh, this time he had somebody behind him, which he didn't know. Uh, he was running out front again and looked back and there was, you know, a kid giving him chase. And so, you know, he pushed it to the line and ran a PR of uh, 215 for the 800. So just absolutely tremendous. It was so fun, so fun to watch, you know, and he's got one more meet this season. We're going to an invitational uh, and, you know, just just see what he can do. Um, you know, hopefully uh, lower that mile time down one more time since the season has been so abbreviated and we just had to cram in. A uh, bunch of races because of of the schedule we were handed uh, wasn't ideal for training, but you know I thought these kids did amazing. So, but um, we're already getting ready for cross country. <laughs> um, I'm gonna take on the, the middle school role uh, as my daughter's coming up, not next year, but the following. So um, I'm gonna be coaching cross country with those kids. Uh, so I, I look forward to that. It's just it's so invigorating and motivating, inspiring. They're just great great kids to be around. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to, to be a part of, and I encourage you, you know, the, the track seasons are still going on. So, you know, if you, if you have, have a, a local high school 
that you're around, you know, see if they have a home meet, just go out and check it out because it's just amazing to watch these kids go at whatever level. Like I said, just go watch and cheer them on. Uh, you know, check out the field events. These kids are, you know, they're putting it out there all. It's really cool. So, um, I encourage you to do that. Um, so far as, uh, as coaching goes, um, man, you know, I, I really, I can't thank people enough for, for trusting me and, and wanting to, to come on board. Uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous. I, I say that quite often, but like I said, I'm, I'm very grateful and that that's, you know, I'm just so grateful that, um, I've been, uh, afforded this opportunity, uh, you know, that people trust me, um, and, uh, have come on board with the, with the coaching program. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I, I really have to kind of start, uh, being careful with, uh, with how many I take on board. So, uh, I do encourage you to reach out to, to Thad, coach Thad, uh, his information is on the website, mrrunningpains.com. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely has some, some openings for some folks to, for coaching. Um, but if you feel I'm a better fit, uh, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. I, I really enjoy, um, you know, having those conversations and, um, but, um, and don't forget there are the individualized plans. So if you're not looking for one-on-one coaching per se, there are the individualized plans, uh, that we will create, uh, after a conversation, you know, we have a conversation and talk about your goals and your training and all that. And then I'll write the plan. We'll have another conversation and then off you go. You don't have to have one-on-one coaching. You have the plan. Um, and you know, you just do your thing and, and, you know, hopefully it prepares you as best as possible for race day. So those are available. Uh, 12, 16, or even 20 week programs, um, or even 24 if you need be, um, you know, it depends on where you're at with your fitness and what you're looking to do. Uh, but don't hesitate to reach out and love to have those conversations as well. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, easy enough. Just email me for those. Um, and to those that have reached out on Strava, my God, I can't believe I have like about two weeks to, uh, old dominion 100, uh, came about obviously so quickly. Um, you know, was not anticipating getting into it. Uh, to be honest, I had almost forgotten about it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess I was kind of let down when, uh, it came to the realization that hard rock wasn't going to happen. So I just kind of turned my focus forward to, to grindstone. And then when I got that email, I was, Oh, uh, you know, I was very, it, it really did excite me. Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been great. Uh, just kind of, you know, turn the burner back on a little bit and, got me moving again. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for this, uh, this adventure. Uh, in, matter of fact, um, one of my friends that I met through, uh, the runner's world, uh, photo contest that we did, uh, back in 2016, it was, uh, his name is Michael Harms and he runs with his son, uh, Donald, who's a quadriplegic and they will not be doing the old dominion together, but, um, Donald should be out there supporting and, and, and cheering on, his dad, um, Michael and his family, um, you know, hope they're just, uh, they're amazing people. Uh, and I really look forward to, to seeing them. He's, he's doing his first hundred miler. So, um, you know, super cool. Um, and, uh, and to those of you that have reached out on Strava, um, or reached out to me on other platforms and, and just asking questions. Thank you. Um, I, I love that. I love, love, you know, people coming to me with questions, whether it be about, uh, footwear or, uh, training or racing or any of that, uh, you know, it's, it's, I love, love those conversations. Um, I am, I'm certainly glad and, and, um, uh, as I said, just, just blessed to, to be able to, 
um, to, to, you know, reach out and, and contact and, and be, you know, a part of, of other people's, uh, journeys and such. So uh, if, if you do have questions, don't hesitate to reach out, you know, it's, it, I'm here to, to answer whatever questions I can. So, um, you know, thank you guys. Um, and so far as the newsletter goes, uh, may just got away from me. Obviously it's just been so hectic, uh, with everything going on. So, um, June will have a uh, kind of a May, June, uh, catch up newsletter and, um, you know, I'll we'll, we'll get back on a monthly basis after that. Um, and same with YouTube, uh, just have not had free time to, uh, to post any new videos. So those are coming. I do have a lot of videos that I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to make. So, um, got a lot of shoe reviews that I need to catch up on. Um, I've, you know, I've been running in some really, you know, cool shoes, uh, testing out, um, you know, the, uh, I talked about the innovate their new, um, uh, Terrafly ultra 300. I really, I think that shoe is pretty cool. Um, I did a pretty big run in on it this past weekend. Uh, got about 25 miles in good mix of single track and, uh, and service road. Um, you know, and, and really was pleased with it. Um, I actually thought about using it for, uh, um, for old dominion, but I think I'm going to go, uh, also got the, the lone peak five, uh, lone peak five seems to be a little bit more of my speed. Um, uh, you know, kind of like the stack height a little bit more, my, my foot feels a little bit more comfortable. The toe box is a little bit wider. Um, you know, not that I have a wide foot. I just like the splay. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> got a lot of shoe reviews to catch up on as well. Um, been you know running in some pretty cool shoes, so um, got you know got some things to talk about. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, want to thank you guys, uh, especially you know obviously those that support me on Patreon. My gosh, thank you all so much for your monthly pledges. Um, if you can support on Patreon, there's a link on my website, um, uh, mrrunningpains.com. You can click the link. Uh, a little as dollar a month, it all helps. Uh, keep this podcast going. Hopefully, I'm, I'm giving you guys relevant and fun information. Um, got a really cool podcast coming on uh, next week. Um, and uh, we'll be catching up with Natalie Daniel. Uh, she finished up the Brute series. And we'll also be uh, talking with the creator um, of the Brute uh, Challenge. He's, uh, he's coming on the podcast. Uh, and we'll be speaking with, uh, with Charles. Uh, and so it'll be another dual episode, uh, two different conversations, uh, Natalie's conversation and then my, uh, my conversation with Charles. So, um, that'll be next week's episode. So, um, please, uh, as always, uh, if you haven't done so already, please like the podcast, uh, leave a review that all helps, you know, the, the word get out about the podcast. Um, certainly appreciate all your support and your time. And so until uh, until next time, my friends, keep running. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a hundred mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? Don't ask me
coming, rain is coming, can't give a fit. Rain is coming, rain is coming, can't give a fit.